All right, folks, come on in, have a seat. Welcome. It's exciting to be together today. Uh, to be able to encourage one another and enjoy some great refreshments. By the way, let's give a great hand to those who prepared the refreshments for us. Thank you for doing that, everybody. There's a crew that makes that fly. And uh, we really appreciate that. So we're here today, and we've got some special guests with us. And if you've been with us for a while, you already kind of know them. Uh, we have Doctors Ellen with us. So Nicholas and Vanessa, they both are doctors. So she was kind of sharing with me before that she's heard this, that they're a, they're a paradox. Huh. Right? Don't worry, I won't say it to you again. But just, just the way to start off the morning with a bad pun. Uh, but we're really glad to have them with us uh, as... Uh, we've enjoyed fellowship with them many times over the past several years. Uh, they have been dedicated to biblical counseling for, for many years. Um, they are um, involved in, in, in ministry in their home church in Houston, so we owe a debt of gratitude to their home church for sharing them with us today. Uh, and they've just been speaking at the North Creek Biblical, Con uh, biblical Counseling Conference. And, uh, and so what we do typically, uh, we are like... I call ourselves, we're like a church leech. So we just sort of attach ourselves to the underbelly of the large church down the road, and we just swipe the best speakers and have them join us here. That's what we do. So, and, and they know about it. I talked to Jeremy over there, and I'm like, you okay with this? He's like, we're fine with it. So, so we're still friends. But uh, we're, so, uh, we're so glad to have them with us. And so let's welcome uh, Dr. Nicholas Ellen and Vanessa. Good morning. It's good to see everybody again. Uh, we always love coming out this way. It's fun for us. It's, all, it's sad at one point, too, because it's the, like the end of our road. We love hanging out in California. When we're here, we know we're at the end, and now it's time to go back home. But we also enjoy the fellowship with you guys. I have been tasked uh, this morning to kind of talk about this thing called self-control. And that's an exciting topic, right? Is everybody excited about it? We've just eaten all that stuff back there. And... No. But I want to read you a couple of quotes, a few quotes. And I want you to listen to them very carefully. And I, I find these quotes fascinating. Here's one quote. It says, Never do something permanently foolish because you're temporarily upset. Sounds good, doesn't it? Here's another one. If you have the power to do something, then you have the power not to do it as well. Here's one of my greatest ones. I like this. One of the greatest challenges is to control oneself. Then it says, if you learn self-control, you can master anything. Here's another one. Discipline is just choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Here's another one. Don't let yourself be controlled by three things. Your past, people, or money. But here's my favorite one. If you don't control what... No, no, no. This is not my favorite. I'm going to go to my favorite one. Stop letting people who do so little for you control so much of your mind, feelings, and emotions. Will Smith. <laughs> He said it. I, hey, well, anyway, we'll leave that one alone. But I want you to get the point. <laughs> Here's what I want you to see. A life of freedom, and I want you to learn this today. A life of freedom is built on self-control. 
a life of bondage is built on a lack of self-control. And so too often people look at self-control as something that is a possibility I'm going to try to work at. But what you fail to understand is that if you don't walk in a life of self-control, you will not walk in a life of stability. You will not walk in a life of freedom. And you'll forever be a slave to something. And what we tend to do in our lives is blame people. We blame the past. We blame our parents. We blame the pressures or the problems or the pains of life as the reason why we are where we are. But if we get honest and we look at it biblically, we are where we are in life according to how we have handled or mishandled the art and practice of self-control. And it's important for us to think about it that way because if not, we'll miss that our freedom is not tied to people changing their attitudes or uh, politics or any of those things. Our freedom is tied to how we cultivate this thing called self-control. So with that in mind, I want us to begin to look at, if we can, just a few principles, and you have it in front of you. Let's start with first a definition of self-control, if we could start there. And look at these things. Self-control means this, to restrain one's thoughts, desires, emotions, and will from sinful intent and involvement in order to bring them into an alignment with God's will. Now, that's important because self-control, as we're going to discover as we walk through this, it's not an end, it's a means. The goal of your life is not self-control. Self-control is because there's something else you want more. So whatever you want more, as we see, if you think about it biblically, you're going to walk in self-control because you want this more. If you don't, you will not walk in self-control because you don't want it more. It is an avenue to something greater, to God's glory and your good. Now that's important because too many people think, I just need to get self-control. No, 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 no. What do you want? And if what you want is tied to God's will and ways... Self-control becomes an avenue. So let's explore that a little bit. Turn in your Bibles, again, with that definition of self-control. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We want to explore it. Galatians 5, looking at verse 16 first, and then we get down to the actual content and working through the practice of self-control. So Galatians 5, 16, it says something, and we're going to come back to this because it's very important. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the what? Uh, By the, and you will not carry out the. Now, that's important because as we walk by the indwelling spirit of God within us, it says we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 17 says, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So the reality is there is this constant war with us as Christians. We've got our indwelling sin waging war against our minds to do evil. We've got the Spirit of God who is empowering us and also guiding us in our thinking through the Word of God and by His power to move forward in righteousness. But there's a clash. And in the middle of that clash, the power we have comes down to us walking in this fruit of self-control. And that's where we get down because he goes in verses 
uh, 19 to 20 to tell us what the flesh looks like. But look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the last one? The power to walk in self-control is not true grit, but it's true grace. And that grace is given to us by the power and person of the Holy Spirit within us. So this is not something that we cannot do. This is something that we can do by the gracious work of the Spirit of God within us. However, we've got to think about this purpose. What is self-control for? And so walk with me for a moment as you look at your notes. The purpose of self-control, one of the first things we see is this. Self-control is for the purpose of devotion. Please hear me well. Devotion to God's order for existence. God's people are to enter into the spiritual gym to cultivate the muscle of self-control to protect and reinforce our respect and devotion and submission to God. So think about it this way. The more you want to submit to the Lord God, the more you walk in self-control. The less you want to submit or have devotion to God, you won't. Now let that sink in. Now here's the problem or the reality of that. You can't say you don't have the ability. Let that sink in. You say, well, how are you saying that? Why are you being so hard? I'm not being hard. I just, just want to be logical. Hear me well. Does the same power to raise Christ from the dead dwell in us, according to Scripture? It does, right? So the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Is it safe to say that this power gives us the ability to obey God, according to Scripture? Right? So that means that, as Philippians says, we can work out because God is working what? Within. So if those things are true about you and I, there's only three reasons why we're not walking in self-control or practicing self-control in any given moment. Lack of knowledge. I just didn't know. Okay? I, I, I just didn't know. Okay, surprise. Now you know. Right? Or number two, lack of skill. I didn't know how. Well, we'll talk about that today. Or number three, lack of will. I just won't. Christian, for you and I, there's only three reasons why we're not operating in self-control. I didn't know. I didn't know how. I just don't want to, and I will not. And the third one, I can't help you. That is where the power of God has to do things in your life that's above my pay grade. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. You know, consequences because of a lack of self-control. Things can become so difficult that now you are forced to move in a direction that God wants you to move because you wouldn't do it willingly. So now he has to take you a different way to guide you, a, a subtle nudge or whatever that looks like in your life. But the reality is you have the ability to do this. So you have to ask yourself a question. When I'm not walking in self-control, is it lack of knowledge? Is it lack of skill? Is it lack of will? There's no other reason for a saint. Now, we get it. If you don't belong to Jesus Christ, you don't have the ability to do this at the level that God has called you to, which is why he wants to deliver you from the penalty of sin, deliver you from the power of sin, and soon the presence of sin, change your position 
from sinner to saint, change your condition from being dead to being alive, which empowers you to now live to know him, to become like him, to be useful to him. God wants to do that for those who haven't put their faith. For those who have, he's done it. So then you have to say, no more excuses. I got to make some confessions. Boy, y'all are real excited, aren't you? (laughs) So with that in mind, the purpose of self-control, one of the first purposes, if you think about it, it's devotion to God's order of existence. Here's the second purpose. Self-control is also for the purpose of demonstrating the character of Jesus Christ. What do we mean? Spirit-enabled self-denial cultivates a life of restraint from evil in order to develop, to maintain, and demonstrate Christ-like character. So again, self-control is not an end. It's a means. If I want to be devoted to my master, one of the avenues to getting there is self-control. If I want to develop in Christ-like character, one of the avenues or the means to getting there is self-control. Self-control, please hear me. I want to repeat it so it goes in your mind. You wake up saying this. It's not the end. It's a means. Your goal is not to be self-controlled. Your goal is to have devotion to Jesus Christ. So how do I get there? Your goal is to develop in Christ-like character. How do I get there? Ah, let me give you a third one. Also, self-control is for the purpose of delving into a proper regard for others above one's self. It is the proper subordination unto God and proper regard for others above self that is at the heart of ethical behavior. Self-control enables us to do this. The reason why you're not loving others at the level that you can is because of your unwillingness to control yourself. You say, well, I want to love them more. Okay, well, you got to die to you more to love them more. Is that right or wrong? Is that true or false? Which means there's some things that you have to put under control like your mind, your mouth, your manner. Because there are things you want to say that sometimes don't need to be said. There are things you want to do that sometimes don't need to be done. And there are things that you're thinking that you have to say, Lord, I need to let that go and begin to think loving thoughts, act loving ways, but it's going to take your power of restraint so that I can move from this to move into this direction of love. Now let that sink in for a moment because too often when people think about the fruit of the Spirit being self-control. We don't think about this in terms of something other than self-control. Your goal in life is not to be self-controlled. I mean, unbelievers try that, and it doesn't work well, and they do that with true grit. They try to, you know, I'm just not gonna, you know, and it it doesn't work long, it doesn't work well, right? The self-control that God has called us to, as we'll discover, again, it's the ability to restrain oneself For the purpose for things that are God's glory, other people's good, and our own transformation. Here's the fourth thing I want you to think about with this. Here's the fourth reason for self-control. Self-control is for the purpose of disciplined self in order to receive eternal rewards from Jesus Christ in the future. The believer can and will say no to the wrong desires when he says yes to something bigger, Christ's will for himself. So if we just make this practical, I'm just going to go back for a moment. If self-control is not the end, it's the means. Can you tell me the four things that self-control is the means to? What's the first thing? 
What's the second thing? What's the third thing? And what's the fourth thing? You didn't know you were going to have to do a school lesson this morning, did you? See, I'm keeping you awake. But I need you to understand that if you are struggling in any of those areas, you've not chosen to walk by the power of self-control. It's not that you don't have it. Because the indwelling spirit indwells you. And the Bible says the fruit of the spirit, and it was the very last aspect of fruit, was what? Self-control. The ability to restrain oneself, but please hear me well, for the purpose of something greater. The purpose of something greater. Now, before we go any further, I'd like you to take just a few minutes, partner up with each other. Talk about this definition of self-control for a couple of minutes. Look at these four categories and ask yourself, when I think about this, does this make sense as it relates to self-control? Does this make sense? Okay, take about two minutes and we'll come back. We'll build on this with a little bit more. All right, guys, I'm going to stop you there, and we will come back and have another discussion time. Is this definition of self-control making sense to you guys? Yes? Can you see that self-control has a higher purpose than just self-control? And I think too often that's what we miss in looking at self-control. If self-control is limited to my personal agenda and it's just about me, well then when I don't feel like it, I'm just not going to do it because now I want something else. Does that make sense? And since I want something else now, self-control is irrelevant because I've changed my mind now. I want to do something else. But when self-control has a greater purpose than just my own agenda, then you recognize that I'm really dying to something that is self-serving, to something that is God-centered, which is going to be not only productive for me in the end, but it's going to bring glory to God and be a blessing to other people. You know, I, I try to talk to a lot of guys who, with families, and I say to them, you make a lot of decisions for yourself, and it's destroying your family. The moment you said, I do, your life became bigger than your life. But ultimately, your life has always meant to be bigger than your life. The moment you give yourself to Christ you stop saying your life was your own at that very moment. And the trick of the enemy for many of us, we fail to recognize, we still believe that we are our own and that we live for ourselves. And we put the hat of Christianity on, but we're still practically living as if we own ourselves, as if life is about us, for us, to us. And so many decisions are very difficult because our lives are no bigger than our lives. And so we've tried to reduce people and everything to our fears. We've reduced relationships to our insecurities. We've reduced relationships to our agendas. And let's be honest, we keep trying to make everybody like us. And we're frustrated because that person doesn't think like us. They don't talk like us. And how inconsiderate of them because they don't have our insecurities. Am I talking to somebody in the room? (laughs) See, those are the dangers when you believe your life is your own. So then self-control is this frivolous thing that you try every now and again because life has been reduced to you. 
But when you recognize that your life is not your own, self-control becomes this opportunity for you to live something bigger than you and watch God's power work in the practice of self-control for you to live a life that's bigger than your life, bigger than your insecurities, bigger than your preferences, bigger than your concerns, bigger than your interest. But if self-control is only to affirm your insecurities or your interest and your desires, well, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't, right? <laughs> and therefore, your self-control is inconsistent because your passions and dires, the desires and things are inconsistent all the time. But when you live for the one that's greater than you and if for life that's bigger than you, you start to see the central stability that self-control can bring becomes bigger than just, I need to stop. Why? So that I may what? And if the end of that sentence is you, it's never going to really last long, is it? But if at the end of that sentence is something bigger than you, you've got the power of God working in you. Does that make sense to everybody? So let's build on that a little bit. So we talked about the purpose of self-control. What does it look like? What's a picture? I've gotten some sentences from some very great authors, and you see that down in the reference point, that I thought were just tremendous to understand what self-control looks like picture-wise. Here's one of the pictures it says. One who is self-controlled does not let himself become a slave to whim, uncontrolled passions, the deceitfulness of riches, carnal lust, or other evils. So they're not slaves to it. Now, here's what we need to understand. For you to enjoy the good things of life is not the problem. Some people have to walk in extremes. That's why things never work. I'm just going to stop all of blank. I'm not going to do that ever again anymore. Not that blank is evil or wrong. I'm just not going to do that anymore. It's not realistic. Versus saying the hardest thing in life to do is to learn moderation. To say, I can taste a little bit of this. I don't have to always have everything. And that was my biggest struggle. Because I can stop eating for days. But my problem is, as soon as I stopped eating, I didn't change what I was eating when I stopped. So yeah, I stopped eating the pizzas and hamburgers for six, seven, eight days. Woo! Celebration time. What am I going back to now? (laughs) Versus how do I learn to eat a different way for something bigger than my own weight? What if it boiled down to, I need to eat differently because I need to live longer because there are responsibilities that God has allowed me to have that are bigger than my weight and my life and my looks. And so therefore, in order to be healthy so I can take care of my family who depend on me for the resources or to take care of the church who depends on me for what God has provided, I need to exercise more self-control, not so I can look better, but I can sustain and be better. You see the difference? Because, see, I can fool myself after a while. Just add an extra button or something, and I can fool myself to say, I look okay, I'm all right. Just one more. Versus, no, I need to stop for something bigger and better. Here's the second thing I want you to see a picture of it. Self-control. One who is self-controlled puts himself under such control that whatever good and profitable thing he must desire to do, that is the godly thing he pursues by what? Faith. Faith. Here's the third thing, another good picture of self-control. Self-control is the believer's wall of defense against the sinful desires that wage war in the soul. When you can deal with the pain of no, you will find the power of peace that God will give you. 
Many of us don't know how to handle the pain of no. Telling ourselves no, accepting the word no, just saying no. And the more you can learn to deal with the pain of no with yourself and others, the more you can move forward in the power of self-control. And you'll find after a while, no is not that difficult to hear. No is not that difficult to accept. Because what you're saying no to or getting no from can't compare to the yes to the other side of the coin. Here's my favorite one, and I think this is the biggest picture of self-control. I love this. Listen to these words. Self-control is not control by the natural self, but control of the natural self. You see the difference? See, control by the natural self, that's that true grit. That's what unbelievers are trying to do. Okay, they're trying to use their own flesh to control their flesh. How is that going? Does that really ever work? I'm going to use my own flesh to control my flesh. Where true self-control is control of the natural self and often sinful self. Natural desires must be gratified only within the scriptural boundaries and sinful desires must be denied entirely. What a wonderful picture. And I I thought these authors did a great job of just giving us a picture of self-control. Does this make sense to you guys? So again, when you think about what self-control is for, a picture of it, now we got to get to the ugly stuff. Why are we not doing it? What's the pitfalls? I want you to see these pitfalls and go back to your Bibles for a moment. Let's go back to Galatians 5, 16 to 17, because Galatians 5, 16 to 17 really helps us understand the pitfalls as to why we're not walking by the Spirit and in this self-control. Again, notice what he says. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Verse 17 is the real issue. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Now, I want you to understand what this opposition looks like. So keep your finger there and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11. And as you look at 1 Peter 2 11, this is the real pitfall that we're having to work through as it relates to self-control. Because the issue is not that we don't have the power, because it's been proven we do. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it's not the power issue. This is what we're dealing with. First Peter 2, 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from your what? Which wage war against the what? You have these desires that have gotten out of control. And your indwelling flesh, indwelling sin, is always waging war against your mind. And as it keeps waging war, it makes logical sense when it's what you like. I have no defense against chocolate chip cookies. There's always a time for me to eat chocolate chip cookies. Okay? Even when I shouldn't, I should, because if someone offers it to me, I mean, I need to be right and kind and polite. Right? Even if I'm really full and they have one more cookie, honey. Well, you know, let me be respect. I mean, I can always rationalize. Right? So here's what I want you to see. Just think about that picture for a moment. And when we look at the pitfalls, letter A, a central pitfall that keeps us from self-control is listening to the logic of our flesh above the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. 
Okay? See, the flesh is always waging war. That's the, that's the battle that's going on in your heart. So where there is a wanting to do self-control, there's the logic of your flesh giving you a reason why you can do something different. And let's just face it, the logic always makes sense to you and me. Right? So not only do we find the logic, here's the second thing, the pitfall to self-control, is... Living by the logic of our flesh on a regular basis above the wisdom. So here's what happens. The flesh is raging this logic of why you should or should not do. And then you listen to it. And before you know it, you're starting to live by that logic. But here's the third thing. Consider this. A central pitfall that keeps us from self-control is lusting after the things of the world above valuing the love of and the love of, for God. Listen. You show me where you're worried. You show me where you're angry. I'll show you where you worship. Okay? And so where you're always angry and where you're always worried and always consumed with what people will or will not do and you're always fretting and always freaking out and always trying to manipulate someone or trying to control someone or change someone's mind, always preoccupied with what may happen, I'll show you that those things have become the dominant force of your life above God himself. And those are the areas where you will have the least control because your goal is what you want and those desires that you've made demands instead of accepting the sovereign will of God and embracing that he is enough even if someone takes something or doesn't give you something or something happens. Because can we be honest? Aren't things going to always happen beyond your control that you didn't expect to plan for? Why do you think that's happening? You think that's just happening randomly? God is trying to break you of this idea that you actually run something. But we don't get it because, again, we think that we belong to ourselves, right? We think that we have ownership. So God keeps showing us who's sovereign. And we keep having to let go of the God of our imagination, which will never let anything bad happen to us. The God of our imagination will come through exactly the way we want. The God of our imagination is always centered on us. But the God of reality is always about his glory and doesn't mind letting us suffer if it will develop our sanctification. Doesn't mind helping us understand that our lives are not our own and that self-control is an avenue to move us there. But when we're lusting after the things of the world, that means that we're always worried, always angry. There's always a fret of what might happen based upon what has already happened. And so we're consumed with two worlds all the time. I can't do this, or we need to think about this because this might happen. Why? Because this has happened. I don't want that to happen again. Well, you didn't control it the first time, so how can you control it the next time? So what makes you think you have the power to keep these things that in many places you don't? And the preoccupation with fear and the preoccupation with anger shows the preoccupation of worry, which fights against self-control. Does that make sense, everybody? Here's another thing that we see with this. A central pitfall that keeps us from self-control is living by the wisdom of the world above living by the wisdom of God. We had a challenge with that the other day. We've just gotten a building, and we're excited about it. We're trying to move in, and we've had so many pressures and so many things that happened with the, the city codes. And we had this new thing called an impact fee, which we'd never heard of. 
the impact fee says, we've surveyed that you're moving in this building, and as the water department, the impact it may have on us doing the work, we're going to charge you $1,800. I'm saying, impact fee? Are you kidding me? What is this? And so I'm saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. So then the contractor comes and says, well, you know, the city doesn't have to know if you do A, B, C, and D. Really? Oh, no, 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 I can't go there. But the temptation was, so that would cut some cost. And I'm saying, wait a minute, how are we stand on the Sunday morning to the glory of God talking about, we love Jesus and we want to be honest, but we cut some cost to get this building, guys. Come on in. We lied to the government so that we could do what we're doing right now. Let's just praise Jesus. Does that sound right to you? But in my spirit, I had to be careful that the logic of the world, self-control had to say no to the delicious temptation of cutting corners to save money in order to say yes to God, let your will be done. Let me give you some practices, and then I want to break you up in groups, and then we'll have a little conversation together. Does this make sense so far? Because as I've been working through this in my life, and again, I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me. I have to deal with this self-control thing over and over and over again. How do we practice it? What are the practical things we do here? And I want you to then break in groups and then we'll come back with questions. Uh, here's the practice. Number one, and by the way, because I'm, if, if you belong to Jesus Christ, and let me just say this, I'm not saying anything to you that you cannot do. Okay. So if you're not doing it, what are the three reasons you're not doing it? Lack of knowledge, I didn't know. Lack of skill, I didn't know how. A lack of will, I just won't. Right? So we're not talking about anything that's impossible. Now, if you haven't put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, if you've not allowed him to be the savior of your life, you're the only one in this room that has an excuse for anything that we're saying. However... God wants to deliver you out of your sin condition, put you in a right standing and right relationship to empower you to live in this new life with him, which would, again, give you the power to do these things. So consider, surrender your devotion, your desires, your direction of life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? You're not your own. You've stopped being your own the moment you gave your life to Christ. And technically, you never were your own because God created everything for its glory. But I'm not going to get into the technicalities. But you're not your own. It's time for you to stop living as if the world revolves around your decisions, your passions, your desires, your emotions, your will, your insecurities, your agenda. The moment you gave your life to Christ, his agenda became yours. So that's step number one. Step number two, study the word of God on a regular basis in order to learn and embrace the proper order and priority. And that's important of all things in all aspects of life according to God. What does God say? That should be your question. And based upon what God says, then I will do. Why? Because you can. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Through the Holy Spirit's enablement, cultivate in the discipline of detaching and detoxing. Explain that. From the desires of the soul that are keeping you from aligning with the guidelines and guardrails of God's standards. And you can tell you what detaching and detoxing means. Living with the pain of resistance. 
That's what it boils down to. There's pain when you say no to yourself and you step away from things that have been delightful but are being destructive to your life. It's painful. But the more you step away, God will be with you in the pain. Sometimes he won't take the pain away. Sometimes he will allow you to endure the pain. And eventually, it's like those hunger pains. I don't know if you've ever had a day where you were trying to get to eat, but you couldn't get to the food, and your stomach was yelling real loud. Anyone ever had that day? It's like, hey, feed me now. What are you doing? And you're stuck in traffic. There's nothing you can nibble on in the car. And you're trying to get to eat, but your stomach is screaming loud. And then what happens eventually? The hunger pains just go away. And they're very loud at the beginning, but after a while, it just goes away. You're still hungry, but the pain and intensity goes away. That's what happens when you start to detach and detox. The pain and the voice of your flesh is very loud. But the more you resist the less it speaks to you in that area because the power of self-control is kicking in. Here's the next thing I want you to see from this. Through the Holy Spirit's enablement, cultivating the discipline of adjusting your desires to align with the guidelines and guardrails and standards within the context of any situation and act or respond according to God's guidelines and guardrails. That's the toughest one. We're going to be talking about that again when we talk about contentment. Your biggest struggle is that you always want more in the moment than God lets you have, which is why you're worried or angry. And the moment you accept what God lets you have in the moment versus what you want in the moment, you will be walking in self-control and freedom at the same time. Many of us want a set of security from God that he's not going to give us in the moment. Many of us want a set of answers from God that he's not going to give us in the moment. Many of us want things that he won't give us in the moment, but we won't accept what he has given us in the moment. So it's hard for us to be thankful, and it's hard for us to be submissive. And the challenge for us through self-control is to learn that in that moment, if this is all God lets me have, let me embrace and adjust my desires to that versus the fears of what if and the anger of why not. Does that make sense? The fears of... And the anger of, we live between those two tensions too much. So with that in mind, guys, let me close with this. Now, I want you to kind of walk in groups, and I'm going to open the floor for questions from here. Consider these particular words. I, I found this as I was reading this book, and I got this together. It's very encouraging. He says, self-control is a valuable virtue operating behind the scenes to sustain a healthy, holy life. It is foundational for a life of freedom from the bondage of sin and flourishing in the newness of life granted to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Self-control is what allows a person to live a life that glorifies God and blesses others. Whenever you resist to control yourself, here's the key. I want to talk about this in closing. You place yourself under the control of that person, place, product of pleasure you've given into. So let me make this plain. Where you lack self-control, you are controlled by that thing. Does that make sense? Where you lack self-control, that thing now controls you. Whether it be food, whether it be a person, whether it be a place, whether it be a product, whether it be a perspective. Where you will not control yourself, you are being controlled in that area. Here's the beauty for you as a Christian. 
First Corinthians says, there have no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation provide the way of escape that you may be able to bear. But if you're like me, I don't want to escape the chocolate chip cookies right now. I don't want to escape. I like this. I know it is good to me, but not good for me. And God is saying, then you're going to experience the other side of my love. Because I love you too much to let you destroy yourself. I saved you for myself. You no longer belong to yourself. I've got to do some other things now. I'm patient. But there's some other things that must happen. Now, before we go any further... Let's take a few moments, talk about this, and we'll take the last five or ten minutes or so and ask and answer any questions you may have. So take about maybe four minutes, talk amongst yourselves. What do you think? What do you see? How does this apply to you? And then I want to open the floor for questions and comments you may have. All right, guys, if we could uh, come together. I just want to take these uh, last few minutes to kind of jump in on some of your conversations as well as answer questions. So let's just kind of go around the room a little bit. What are you thinking? Uh, Questions, comments, concerns, criticisms. Let's, Let's go for all of it. What are you thinking? Let me just hear from you. Or as I've heard said to me before, so what? What does any of this have to do with me? I think in this moment, uh, (laughs) if it's quiet, that's not what they're thinking. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So talk to me, gang. Questions, comments. All right, there we go. Kicking it off for us. Thank you, Dr. Ellen. Um, in the section on practicing self-control, it started me thinking about um, what practicing self-control looks like while also maintaining healthy boundaries um, and how perhaps that might even relate to the, what is it, item C on the front as far as the purpose in dying to ourselves and loving others, yet also maintaining biblical boundaries for our lives. Well, I think the challenge of boundaries because it's been used so much in the psychological world, I think God has already put certain boundaries in place. I think we have to focus on biblical love and not so much boundaries because boundaries means setting something apart where love means it's going to get messy and people are going to say and do things that are going to bring disappointment and pain to my life. If I set up boundaries, I'm trying to protect myself from things that I really can't protect from and that is people saying and doing things. Now, the Bible does say the wicked, uh, the prudent sees evil and hides himself, but the wicked go on and suffer for it. So I think some of the guidelines and guardrails as it relates to relationships and those things is, am I connecting to this person according to what I can and cannot gain from them? Or am I connecting to this person according to what God would have me to do for them? And how much of my life is carrying their load instead of just bearing a burden? So I think a true biblical boundary is not taking other people's responsibility, but embracing and helping them in their responsibility. So I think we have to really take that word boundary and look at it more biblical than secular. Because from a secular perspective, it's protecting me from hurt. And if you love, you're going to be hurt. Look at God and his love for us and what we keep doing. 
Does that make sense? Well, being wise in how we connect with people, I think, is, is central. Does that, does that make sense? It made me think about how practicing self-control is a way to have those b- biblical boundaries in a way that loves others but doesn't take on. Yeah. Yes. Because when you take on more than you should, it's really you being full of yourself. Trying to be God or being more than what you were meant to be. And that's really all about you, if that makes sense. So <laughs> those are the kind of things we have to really be careful of. And, and I'm, I'm guilty of doing those things to where... Other people's choices became my liabilities, and I thought I was suffering for Jesus. And it was me being me, trying to take on things that really I didn't have responsibility for. Anybody else? Thank you for sharing. Questions, thoughts? Let's kick it around. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What do you see? Yes. In our church, you will be called the First Lady. So... So this morning, as we were um, getting ready to hear this, I was thinking a lot about how the Bible describes um, the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. Yes. And so it's so interesting as we're looking at self-control, how it, how it comes from a love for God and how yes. all these other things described as the fruit of the Spirit, it's just all working together as one component. Yes. And you can't take it away, but... Um, the more, and I really liked what you said about um, you can't say you don't have the power because of lack of knowledge, because um, there's three things the lack of knowledge, lack of skill, and lack of will. And so that's really helpful breaking that down into. Sorry, this isn't a question. I'm. It's sorry. okay. No, it was comments. <laughs> I said questions, comments, okay. concerns, criticisms. This is but wonderful. This is great. Yeah. Because I and I had to work with that too, you know, fruit not fruits, and also the reality of I've made too many excuses when I need to make confessions. Because I can't say I can't. I need to be honest and say I did not. Does that make sense? And here are the six things that I tried to blame, and I want and I keep sharing them with you because these are the six things we blame for our sin. People. Because of what they did or didn't do, the past, because I, what I've gone through, my parents, they didn't love me this way or they could have loved me that way, uh, the pains of life, it's so painful, that's why, the pressures, there's so much coming at me, or these problems. And we believe that those are good excuses, and that's just the context by which I made a decision, not the cause for my decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah, people, past, parents, pain, pressures, problems. The context that I make my decisions, not the cause. And the moment we stop blaming that and recognize I did that in that context because of what was in my heart, not because of what was external, we can actually move forward in so many things. And as a shepherd, I can't tell you how many times I hear, but you don't understand these people. You don't understand my past. You don't understand my parents. They did this or they didn't do this. You don't understand the pain or the pressures. of. Listen, I may not, but I need you to understand something. God would be a mean God if the condition of your soul was contingent upon things you can't change. And you're telling me that you can't change because of the people, the past, the parents, 
None of those things you have control over. So that means you're stuck where you are and you're forever a victim because those things can never change. But what if that was the context to expose your heart, which can change through the power of God? You see the difference there, guys? And God would be a mean God if my parents had to be better in order for me to be okay. What, a, what if my parents stay awful? You know, I'm just giving that example because that's the excuse I hear from me. My parents were awful, so that's why I can't. So that happened to you, and so you're telling me your bad attitude is because of your bad parents. Man, what a horrible existence you have. So they're going to stay horrible. I guess you have to stay this way. Is that true in reality? But boy, do we love to use those as excuses, don't we? Does that, does that make sense, everybody? So questions, comments, thoughts? morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, I had a question regarding, like, what are some warning signs that can help us maybe discern when godly self-control can creep more into, uh, this is an idolatry of the work itself or an idolatry of ourselves, um, especially when it comes to things like ministry or serving my wife or, you know, some of those things where you can get upset about it. Obsession with it versus a separation for it. When I'm obsessed with doing those things, you have to ask the question, why am I obsessed with this if this is a God-given power to do? It's become personal. It's become about me, not a instrument. So make it even more practical. If I'm worried that I'm not doing enough, if I'm angry because I feel like I've done too much, if I'm consumed with what the person may or may not say, or if I'm offended because they said I didn't do something and I start to get historical, not hysterical, historical. I've done this, I've done that. How can you say then all of that was the fruit of self wanting to be seen, not for God's glory? So those are some of the signs that it wasn't about what you said it was about because there's no peace. There's too much struggle and preoccupation with the what if. Is that helpful? Okay. Good, good. Anybody else? Questions? Comments? Concerns? Criticisms? You name it. Throw them out there. I get to go home tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Hi. I just just really need to hear all this today. But um, you had had a lot of really good points, but I know the thing that you had said was self-control isn't an end, it's a mean. Yes. And I know I have experienced that myself, and um, I got acute pancreatitis a couple years ago because of what my diet, and I was about 300 pounds, and um, I kept praying about it, and I got it, and I remember my mom telling me I had to go to the hospital, and my mom telling me, that I had been very selfish because of the way I'd been eating and treating my body and um, that it was affecting how I was living and my family. And um, that was a point that I knew that, that I needed that, that God was, it was a wake-up call. Yes. And um, I totally followed a pancreas diet and through the whole thing, it was so joyful because I was thinking that it was going to be like the end of everything. I can't enjoy this. I can't enjoy that. But through the whole process, 
it was actually enjoyable because I knew that I was doing what was right. And um, I lost uh, nearly 80 pounds, and I've been able to maintain it now for a couple of years. And um, I mean, but this really is true. I mean, it's just one of those um, things that it's like I'm so thankful that I went through that, that God cared enough for me to be able to to show me mercy through the whole process because it was uh, it was scary. Yeah. Thank so, you. But it was, um, sorry. That's okay. But, but yeah, it is. It was beautiful. And, and even though I changed the way I eat, I'm able to do things with my 10-year-old that I was always scared to, like go on rides at Disneyland. Yeah. Because I, didn't, I couldn't fit into them. And it was embarrassing and just the things that I couldn't do. But now I go to Waterworld with my son and, and I'm not embarrassed. I and he t- tells me, he goes, Mom, he goes, I don't think so-and-so recognized you because you lost so much weight, and I'm so proud of you. And it's just, it really is just, um, it's been really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. That is so exciting. Thank you for that. Anybody else? Any other thoughts about this? Yes, ma'am. I was wondering what you might be able to share with us to help us to pass this on to our own children, how we can educate in a child's perspective way on how we deal with self-control issues. Always share with them there's a bigger purpose of why I'm asking you to say no. I'm asking you to say no to this because I want you to experience the benefit and yes of this. You know, it's not no just for the sake of no. There's something bigger I want you to learn from and to experience. And even with that, doing little exercises to say, we're going to say no to this today so that we can experience this later. You know, and just getting them a taste of that early in life and just different exercises and expanding it. Uh, One of the things we did with our two daughters when they were with us, we did a different kind of fast one time. We said, we want you to fast from talking about yourself. We want you to spend three days at high school with your friends and not talk about yourself, but just hear what's going on with your friends. And when they did that, they came back and said, Daddy, we did not believe what was going on in the lives of our friends. And it gave us an ability to listen and to to connect with them in ways that we didn't even realize. We didn't realize that we talked so much that we weren't even listening to those that we said were our friends. And I said, so you said no to something in order for you to experience something greater, in order for you to do something better. You said no to being heard so you can hear. So little things like that, I think, are practical to kind of help, you know, your kids along the way to see that self-control is not the end. It's for something greater. Does that help? Does that make sense? Thank you very much. Sure. Anybody else? I think we've got about two or three more minutes before we have to transition to get ready. So anybody else? Questions or comments or thoughts? No thought is a dumb thought. Until you say it. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Are we sure? 
Well, again, thank you guys again for the privilege of allowing me to come and getting your world. Thank you. <laughs> Pastor. All right, folks. Well, we'll see you upstairs. And again, <laughs> thank you for being with us. Both of you were grateful. You got it. See you there.